0: Al Jazeera Podcast. From military bases to its reaction to Gulf oil production decisions, from wars and invasions to aid for less well-off countries, the US has long been the dominant power in the Middle East. But could its influence be about to change? You see, US relations with the prime Gulf power Saudi Arabia seem to have hit, you could say, a rough patch. Yeah, they've been at it over oil production, human rights, the war in Yemen and so on. Well, now another power might be eyeing an opportunity to increase its role in the region. Chinese President Xi Jinping is visiting Saudi Arabia and reports say he'll attend an Arab-China summit. And keep in mind, this is his first international visit outside East Asia in years. Hello everyone and welcome to Essential Middle East Podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. Over the past few years, we've been seeing increasing Chinese presence in the region, from infrastructure investments to unprecedented trade and arms deals. Well, let's unfold all of this now with our guest.
1: Hi, I'm James Dorsey. I'm Adjunct Senior Fellow at Singapore's S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Today, I'm joining you from Bangkok.
0: Absolutely fabulous to have you with us here today, James, and I'm so excited about this topic. Let me kick it all off with this one. Is it just a coincidence that China's interest in the region seems to be picking up
1: as US-Saudi relations are strained? No, it isn't. Xi Jinping would like to capitalize on the strains in the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, but potentially also between the United States and the United Arab Emirates. Now, having said that, there are parameters to all of this. So with other words, there's gonna be the summit, Xi Jinping and China's come out with a paper in which it's defined how it sees the relationship with the Middle East. But at the bottom line, what we're seeing is something I think much broader which is a rebalancing of power internationally, or if you wish, a move from a unipolar to a bipolar, potentially a multipolar world, of which China is a major player.
0: And you're talking about this is the intention of both sides, whether it's China or whether it's major Arab countries like Saudi Arabia, right? They both want, or you're just talking about the Chinese
1: perspective? It's a matter of fact. It's not whether or not it's an intention or not. Obviously, the United States would probably prefer to have a unipolar world, as we've had for much of the last two decades. It's the move towards a multipolar world, given the rise of China, is just simply a fact of life that the United States has to come to grips with. I also think there's a second consequence of that, and that is that the United States, in terms of its national strategy, is reprioritizing. It's not walking away from the Middle East, but a greater priority for it today is China rather than the Middle East. And that's something that, again, China, within certain parameters, can take advantage of.
0: Interesting. So it's kind of like a game of chess where the Americans focus maybe more on the East and Asia and the Pacific because of China. So then China then places, moves its piece in
1: the chess game back towards the Middle East. Well, keep in mind also that the United States is a Pacific power. It's not a Middle Eastern power. In the Middle East, it's an external power. And I think that's a major point to take into consideration. The other thing I think one has to take into consideration is that fundamentally, the United States is the security guarantor in the Gulf. How reliable a security guarantor is, is a question. But nonetheless, it is a security guarantor and it tends to remain a security guarantor. Interesting. China, maybe in the middle or the long term, may want to replace the United States or join the United States in that role. It certainly at this point does not want to. And one can even question whether it's capable to. So what that means is that no matter what the strains are, The relationship between the United States and the Gulf is in some ways clearly defined.
0: Let's bring it back to Saudi Arabia and the Arab countries. Saudi Arabia has expressed interest in joining the BRICS nations, right? And China is a prominent member of that. Is Riyadh, from its perspective, is it trying to reduce its reliance on the U.S. or reposition itself politically too?
1: I would argue that what the Saudis are trying to do is hedge their bets what the move from unipolar to bipolar or multipolar means is there's greater agency, there's greater opportunity to diversify relations, to leverage relations, to play one against the other. They're not seeking to replace the U.S. Even if they try to replace the U.S. It's irreplaceable. It's not something they can do, at least not overnight. Right. And so therefore, at this point, it's not a question of replacement. And even if the Saudis wanted to replace, they would need a party that's willing and able to do so. Well, there's been talk of BRICS nations
0: developing an alternative currency, for example, perhaps even pricing oil in that rather than in US dollars. How realistic is that? How on board is Saudi Arabia with ideas like
1: that? Those ideas are bouncing around for a while. I, at this point, wouldn't attribute too much importance to BRICS or to Saudi Arabia joining BRICS. That is not to say that there's no reason why the Saudis should not do that. The individual members of BRICS, China, India, Russia, even though diminished because of the Ukraine war, South Africa, Brazil, are players in their own rights. BRICS as such is not an organization that has made its mark in any real form or fashion. If you compare it to, for example, the China-Russia-led Shanghai Cooperation Organization in Asia.
0: China is competing, I guess we could say, with the U.S. in a core strategic region. How is the U.S. responding? Is the U.S. responding? Is it concerned about China's increasing influence in the Middle East? Or is it the pivot to Asia sort of mindset looking towards the Pacific?
1: I think that the United States realizes China's an economic powerhouse. Today, China is the largest gulf trading partner it is the largest customer for energy from the gulf so those are things that the united states has to come to grips with and live with where the competition really is is on issues for example like technology on issues of how various countries in the gulf and elsewhere in the middle east align themselves on international issues such as the ukraine China does not want to change the international order as we know it. It wants to rebalance power within that order, but in contrast to Russia, it doesn't want to fundamentally change it. And I think what that means is that the Middle East is a region where you actually have the potential to have both rivalry, competition and cooperation at the same time.
0: You mentioned something about trade and economics there. Is that why this region matters to China? Is that primarily
1: China's interest in the Middle East? It's a major interest, but there's also a geopolitical interest, and that is a region, not just the Gulf, that's strategically positioned between Asia and Europe and between Asia and Africa. And therefore, supply chains, logistics, all of these things matter in addition to which you have the issue of the security of crucial waterways through which much of the world's trade, certainly much of China's trade goes, as well as energy flows. China's Sinopec has signed a $60 billion agreement with Qatar Energy on Monday, November 21, for purchases of liquefied natural gas, or LNG, which will supply the country with gas until at least 2050.
0: Interesting. So Europe is also buying oil and gas, though. What does China have to offer this
1: region that other regions like Europe don't? China offers a number of things, I think. First of all, it offers a tremendous market. This is the second largest economy in the world. And at one point, probably will be the largest economy in the world. It's also a region that's much more hungry for fossil fuels than Europe and the United States that are much more bent on moving towards alternative energy and renewable energy. There's also a political aspect to this. These are autocracies that reinforce each other. And I think one of the reasons why you're seeing, much to the surprise of many people, that most Gulf states have either remained quiet or not criticized China for policies in the heavily Muslim northwestern province of Xinjiang and the crackdown that has taken place there. This is an assault on Islam. This is not just an assault on an ethnic minority and the Gulf and most of the Muslim world to be fair has remained silent on this. Now most analysts will tell you that the reason why that is is because they do not want to jeopardize their economic relations with China. And there's truth in that, given that China does not take uh, kindly to criticism, and when it's criticized, it responds very harshly with economic sanctions and other measures. So there's certainly truth in that. But there's also another aspect to it, and that is certainly in the case of Saudi Arabia, that has not just remained silent on the issue of the Uyghur Turkic Muslims in Xinjiang. It is actually endorsed the Chinese policy. And what that does is, on the one hand, it gives the Chinese Muslim cover. It gives the Saudis and others who do that a degree of leverage or earning brownie points. But also, given the Chinese framing of the crackdown in Xinjiang as being against terrorism, China doesn't use the word political Islam. That's partly what it is about, given the nature of some of the Uyghur nationalist exile groups. And so that justifies the crackdown by various of the Gulf states, not all, on political Islam and their global campaign against political Islam.
0: It's a complicated and interconnected world, isn't it? Let's come back to the issue of economics, though. How much in need are Middle Eastern energy-rich countries? How much are they in need of Chinese investments? They want Chinese
1: investments. Whether they really need it for financial reasons, they do want foreign investment. They want foreign expertise. They see investments not only as purely an economic issue, but also as a way of forging closer ties. And they see, of course, Chinese investment as a way of lever that they can use in their relationships with Western countries, particularly the United States.
0: Right, This is fascinating. We're going to have to take a quick break now, but we'll be right back. This week on The Take, we meet one Ukrainian woman who was taken as a prisoner of war. She was freed in a prisoner swap and tells us her story. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everyone, welcome back. Let's continue our conversation about China in the Middle East. James, with China's growing economic interest in the region... Is it going to eventually at least force it to play a bigger
1: security role in the region? There's no doubt in my mind about that. If you are China, do you want to be reliant for the security of your energy flow on a power that is your rival and that at any given moment could act? China has a fundamental interest in ultimately over time becoming a security player rather than what Americans would call a free rider, getting the security of their energy flows for free. But China's not there yet. It's investing immensely in its military capabilities. It's had some experience. It's got its first foreign military base on the Red Sea in Djibouti in Eastern Africa. There was talk that it was building a military naval facility in the UAE until the United States stood up and opposed that. It's had various operations in evacuating Chinese nationals from countries like Libya after the 2011 popular Arab revolt, but it's not yet at a point where it feels that it has the capabilities, and it certainly doesn't have yet the political will to act as a security guarantor, but there's no doubt in my mind. Now, I think there's one other aspect to keep in mind, that. The United States is the sole guarantor, but it has not been adverse in the past to discussing a multilateral arrangement. Well, I guess then that leads us to the question
0: of how China, as its role kind of deepens in the Middle East, how that may also deepen its engagement with some of the dynamics, the political dynamics within the region. Will it give Gulf Arab nations, for example, greater leverage over Beijing's strategic partnership with Iran.
1: China has obviously until now done a balancing act in maintaining relations on all sides of divides in the Middle East. I think the core principle is that it feels that conflict in the Middle East may not be solvable, but it needs to be managed. And it puts the onus on management on the regional players. The last two years, the flurry of rapprochement and rearranging of diplomatic relations in the Middle East between Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt with Turkey, for example. The Al-Ula agreement that put an end to the boycott by the UAE-Saudi-led boycott of Qatar in early 2021. The recognition of Israel by four Arab states, the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco and Sudan. All of that was attributed to the fact that the Biden administration was coming in. And I think that's true. The emergence of the Biden administration played a major role in that. But so did the fact that the Chinese were basically saying, you want us to get engaged, get your act together.
0: Now, we are seeing China getting militarily engaged already in the region, right? In 2017, China opened... I think it was its first overseas military base in Djibouti. Now, OK, that's a small nation in the Horn of Africa, but it gives it some control on one side of the Bab Mendeb mandeb Strait that connects the Gulf of Aden with the Red Sea right across from Arabia, right? Can it be read as some sign in increasing Chinese military engagement with the Middle East?
1: First of all, you know, the base in Djibouti is very strategically placed between East Africa the Middle East and some of the world's most strategic waterways. If you look at the evolution of Chinese defense policy, national strategic planning of the People's Liberation Army, they are preparing the ground for a larger Chinese military presence outside of China. They're doing that very gradually. They're building up experience, for example, with the anti piracy participation in the anti-piracy operations that we've seen over the last decade because of piracy coming out of Somalia, primarily. So they want to keep the sea trade lanes open, basically. For China, that's crucial. Right. And that goes both at the point of origin, for energy at least, coming out of the Middle East, so in the Gulf, but it also goes all the way across to the Strait of Malacca, through which all of this stuff flows, and which Chinese are always concerned that at one point the United States could choke off. So, with other words, that energy security goes over a broad swath of land or water, if you wish, that starts in the Gulf.
0: Can we say it goes deeper than trade and energy security, though, when you look at China's cooperation with Saudi Arabia in building its domestic ballistic capability?
1: I think the two major points where the Chinese have stepped in with arms sales have been drones and ballistic missiles. Both of those were items where the United States was not willing to unconditionally sell those to Saudi Arabia. And so Saudi Arabia went to look for an alternative supplier, and China obviously was a willing supplier.
0: But why, from the Chinese perspective? This is bigger than simply trade and energy security, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. But then again, the Chinese, they are still building up their defense industry. They've come a very long way. The question is, we've seen that with Russia in the Ukraine war. This is not weaponry that's really been tested. It's not weaponry of which we know how does it on a battlefield or in an aerial confrontational environment, how does that perform against U.S. weaponry? Expectations of Russia were far greater than what we've seen in the Ukraine war.
0: From the Chinese perspective, is the Middle East simply an area to expand its military market, to test its equipment, or maybe to try and counterbalance the US military presence there?
1: I don't know that the two are mutually exclusive. Interesting. With other words, sure, there's a market now, there's an opportunity now, there's potentially a testing possibility now. that over time will probably build up into something much larger. Mm. Keep in mind the Chinese think long-term. They're not just short-term thinkers. And they feel that time is on their side. What's the
0: bottom line here? What does China's increasing political and military presence mean for things like the energy market stability, for ultimately
1: maritime trade security between East and West? The bottom line is that ultimately over time, these things are going to become bi- or multipolar efforts, bilateral or, or multilateral efforts, whereby the United States will remain a significant player, but not the only player. China increasingly will be a significant player. James, it's been a fabulous chat. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I enjoyed it, Sami. And
0: thank you too for listening in. This episode was produced by Salam al Khalid Sultan and our intern Nada Shakir. Sound design was by George Elwir. Our engagement producer is al Malik, and our assistant engagement producer is Munira Dosari. The executive producer, of course, Amara Saleh, and Al Jazeera's head of audio is Ney Alvarez. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan Until next time, guys.